This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there listeners, Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking startups. More specifically, we're talking about founding a tech company with a background as a marketer. Often when we speak about the founders of a tech company, your mind immediately tends to picture an engineer in a hoodie hunched over a laptop coding into the wee hours of the night. And in the case of many of the companies whose products we all use on a regular basis, that image is likely true, at least some variation of it. However, it's important to also remember that you don't always have to fit into the traditional mold that's been cast in the past in order to be successful. There's also room to be creative and iterate on what's considered the standard. As an example, the founder of Compass doesn't have a background in tech at all, but somehow managed to build a real estate brokerage that leans heavily on tech to differentiate itself from its peers and uh, is seen as a true disruptor in the real estate space. The founder of Calendly didn't have a background in tech when he founded the go-to online scheduling app and, in fact, had to hire a consulting firm in Kiev to write the initial code to bring his idea to fruition. Or what about Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, whose claim to fame as being a hockey player turned industrial designer before founding one of the biggest disruptors ever to the hotel industry? Yet, I still hear would-be founders who have a great idea and perhaps a great vision of how to grow that concept into a business use their lack of technical skills as a reason not to get started. So today I'll be speaking with someone who has done just that. Hassan Riggs is the founder and CEO of Smart Alto, a tech, pa- a tech platform designed to help real estate agents respond to web traffic uh, and set more appointments by responding quicker than any human can. Hassan has been featured in several publications, including Forbes, TechCrunch, and Black Enterprise, to name a few, and was also accepted into the highly competitive, highly sought-after Y Combinator tech incubator for startup founders out in Silicon Valley, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit. So, with that brief introduction, welcome Hassan Riggs to the Tech Money Podcast. Hey, what's going on, man? I'm excited to be here. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, accepting the invitation, man. We're happy to have you here. So, I I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro. What should I have included in there? Well, when I was young, my dad would always say, Hassan, you are creative, competitive, conscientious and creative, competitive and conscientious, creative, competitive and conscientious. He will always tell me that he kind of instilled those values in me. And I remember my earliest vision of entrepreneurship, my mom. Um, she's a pharmacist and my dad had got his PhD in pharmacology, but, um, and I actually grew up thinking I was going to be a doctor. And I'm glad I didn't make that choice. <laughs> but, um, uh, my, my mom, she, um, loved reading. I grew up with a library in my house and she would quite literally write children's books. And I would be responsible for taking those children's books and cutting them and binding them. And we would go down to the flea market every other Saturday and we would sell those books. And I remember that being just a wonderful experience in my life, just kind of, you know, the making things, building things, learning, evolving, growing. And that's some of the things that I truly still do today. That intellectual curiosity that 
my mom fostered inside of me that my dad always told me I was curious and creative. Those things really led to the person I am today and and really got my first kind of fire with regards to entrepreneurship. And I, I I'll always remember that experience. And I was thinking about this recent, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to my mom about it. Mm-hmm. These personalized children books, something that's, you know, well before I started, you know, kind of getting in, into my career, that's a cultural legacy and a history that that makes me who I am today. Hmm. It's interesting, those those really early starts that that don't seem like anything at the time you might have not even wanted to get out of the bed and go do that, you know, on your Saturday morning or whatever as a kid. And you, <laughs> yeah. At the time, you, you hated it all the way. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, 25, 30 years down the road, you look back and go, wow, like that's yeah. that's. So it's yeah. interesting that that those little teeny things have such an impact on uh on, on who we turn out to be. Um, yeah. But as yeah. as I understand it, though, you were working uh, as a B2B marketing manager for Hilton Hotels when this particular idea, the idea for Smart Alto hit you and, you know, you decided to pursue it full time. Take us back there for a second. Almost five years ago now, what was happening yeah. that made you decide you needed to go and do this? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is, so I've always been entrepreneurial, right? Mm -hmm. And when I was in college at the University of Alabama, I had, I had a couple of jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. I started a couple of businesses, but I also had a couple of jobs. And one of the jobs that I had was I was an inside sales agent at a real estate brokerage. And Mm -hmm. ultimately what an inside sales agent does at a real estate brokerage is the same thing that a SDR or sales development rep does for a tech company. They're on the Mm -hmm. phone. They're qualifying leads. They're following up with leads because everyone says the fortune is in the follow up. That's what you hear when you're in sales. The fortune Mm -hmm. is in the follow up. I don't care how great you are at marketing or getting prospects into your funnel. The fortune is in the follow up. So you got to follow up in order to make money. And so I knew when I was in that role, I was pretty good on the phone and I was great in person at getting people from step A to step B and then booking those appointments for real estate agents. And that was a problem that I solved then. Years later, fast forward to my time at Hilton, I got the entrepreneurial bug again and I knew I wanted to to run off and start a company. And so I thought back to my previous experiences because one of the best ways to start a company is to actually focus on not the solution that you provide, but the problem that you're solving, because the technology in the marketplace is only there to solve a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of the tech. And so I start with the market first, Mm -hmm. thinking about the problems that that market has. And then, you know, I um, kind of call one of my buddies up and I went to the University of Alabama with him, actually. He's a really good friend of mine, been friends for 15 years now. And, you know, we set off to to start Smart Alto and ultimately solve that problem. And now we have customers all around the U.S. and Canada. And we were just recently um, accepted into the National Association of Realtors Second Century mm. Ventures Reach Accelerator. That mm-hmm. happened uh, quite literally um, this week. And so now we'll have access to more than 1.4 million realtors um, throughout the United States, helping them wow, congrats, convert man. more leads, do more business. But it all started with a simple idea. And what I try to share with young entrepreneurs is don't focus so much on the solution that you want to provide, but instead mm-hmm. focus on the problem that you see in the marketplace. So that makes it make a little more sense, because one of the things that I, I had in mind to ask you is why real estate? Because as I yeah. understood it, you had never been a realtor before. But that then yeah. does make it sen- make it make sense. You you were sort of even even beyond being the realtor, you were, you know, in that role inside helping to solve that problem that you saw all realtors had. Um, Cause there's, you know, I, I was thinking in my mind, there's so many other problems to go and build a company mm-hmm. to solve in mm-hmm. the real estate space, which has notoriously been hard to disrupt, right? At least yeah. to, to this point. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, and, and so you sort of answered that one uh, uh, for me uh, in a way. But, you know, then I also know you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur, as you were alluding to. You said you started multiple businesses, you know, by the time you were out of college. And you mentioned the, the, the fact that you got it. Honestly, your mom kind of instilled that into you. Yeah. So yeah. when you said like, hey, guys, like I got to leave 
this gig I got going, that it, things are going well, but nobody's <laughs> pushing me out the door. I got to leave this thing I got going. Yeah. Uh, when you told people this is what you were going to do, did they think you were absolutely nuts or were they more like, oh, well, there he goes again? You know, I believe most people think thought I was nuts, but didn't yeah. say it to me in my face. <laughs> yeah. Said yeah. It behind my back because I had a um, I really liked what I did at Hilton. I was on a great team, had very mm-hmm. meaningful work. I believe in order to have meaningful work, the work has to be complex you got to have some sort of autonomy and if you if you have those two things then you can do something that you really appreciate you can do something that you feel like it's kind of moving the ball forward in your life and i wasn't running away from anything actually Mm -hmm. it's just i wanted to move towards what i felt like was greater purpose in my life and so when i shared when i shared it with my friends you know a lot of a lot of my close friends knew that I wasn't going to, you know, stay at Hilton or really any company for the remainder of my career. I was going to mm-hmm. kind of venture out and try something, try something else. But um, some people who are just kind of, you know, maybe maybe new to my life or even the folks who are at Hilton who are, you know, lifelong, um, lifelong advocates for, you know, getting that that safe job. Mm-hmm. And even my mom and my dad and. And others, you know, in the Washington, D.C. area, what you hear all the time is go get a good government job. Right. And so I would share, don't people, get me share that with people. <laughs> they would, don't don't they would get feel, me started. <laughs> you know, they would feel that I was taking a risk, uh, an unnecessary risk. But honestly, mm-hmm. I believe that the larger risk is staying in a job that isn't getting you closer to your purpose or your passion. Mm-hmm. And really. As humans, we're awful at evaluating risk, especially mm-hmm. long term mm-hmm. risks. Right. So, you know, we we um, are scared of lions, tigers and bears. But then we put extra salt on our French fries. And trust me, <laughs> heart attacks and strokes cause more death than lions, tigers and bears. Right. So we're yeah. just awful at evaluating risk. And so it's really important to be disagreeable in a sense. And what I mean by that is being able to disagree with folks and not rely on social approval for you to make a decision on your life. You can't allow other people to define what success looks like for you in your life. That's your job. That's your responsibility. And so I took that very seriously. And my mom and dad, you know, taught me to be an independent thinker when it comes to the way I define success. And, um, you know, that helped me have the confidence to kind of go against the grain and go against the wind in a sense. So I probably know the answer to this, but from your experience, would you say that there is ever a right time to leave the comfort of that corporate job we're talking about to start that thing that's been like waking you up at night thinking about it? What do you think I'm going to say? I I think you're probably (laughs) going to say absolutely not because there's never a right time to do anything big like that. Mm Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So it's interesting because I actually do think there's a right time. Um, OK. And and this kind of goes into. It, it's not it's not in the sense of having the courage to leave, but it's about understanding when you should leave. Mm-hmm. So this is where I, I, I talk to a lot of um young budding entrepreneurs about this because there are some people who they're just afraid to make the decision to leave. Mm -hmm. But you have other people who aren't afraid to make the decision to leave. um, But I share with them they shouldn't leave right now. And because Mm -hmm. the way I kind of think about this is don't don't allow your emotions to make these like these temporary emotions to make lifelong decisions for you. Sure. So. The way I think about this is there's a difference between clock time and calendar time. When you're trying okay. to decide whether or not you should leave a business, there's a difference between clock time and calendar time. And calendar time is when you have long periods of inaction before decisions happen. Hmm. So what I mean is during calendar time, waiting is progress. So practically speaking, this could mean you got this idea for a company, but you need to do customer discovery. So you're reaching out to one of your friends on LinkedIn, trying to get an introduction to a potential customer. Well, Mm -hmm. it takes you three weeks to reach out to that friend 
to actually yeah. draft the email and get them to respond to you and have a conversation with them to talk about the person that you want to meet and why that's important. And then it takes another week for them to actually send the email and it takes three weeks for the person you want to talk to to get back to you. And then it takes, you know, another three weeks because they're traveling and it's the summertime for you to actually connect. And so now that's eight weeks or so worth of time. Well, that's really an important time, but there's also a lot of waiting in there. And then you multiply mm-hmm. that times, you know, five or six or 10 or 15 people that you're trying to do that with. And you have a lot of waiting that's there. But then there's clock time and clock time is where every single hour that you put in gets you one unit closer to the output that you mm, need. I see. And that's where you may be writing code. You may be running marketing experiments. You may be doing demos. It's you're moving forward. Speed matters. And so one of the worst things that you can do is quit your job when you're in in calendar time, because what you're going to do is you want to quit your job, have no money coming in and mm-hmm. go home and twiddle your thumbs, watching Game <laughs> of Thrones and Netflix all day, wondering why, <laughs> wondering why, you know, you're running out of money. And it's because yeah. you quit your job at a time where all those things that you can do in calendar time can actually be done on your lunch break at work. Mm, I see. You know, I see. So all those things, you, you have to be more strategic about this. And this takes a little effort just to kind of think about it. But some of these things are really hard to think about and they can be quite emotional. And so people just kind of kick the kick the can down the road and end up quitting their job and realize, man, I have no money coming in and I Mm -hmm. don't have a product. I don't have I don't have customers. I'm not quite sure if people want this. And they end up going back to their job pretty quickly or getting stressed and out, you know, kind of doing some things they didn't originally anticipate. So instead of doing the things that give you a softer landing landing point, when you do finally make that jump, you're pushing it all down the road saying, when I do finally make that jump is when I'll start to do those things. That's, that's yeah, the difference yeah. you're making. Yeah. It's a, it's a mistake to think that you need to quit your job in order mm-hmm. to start a business. That's not yeah. true. You yeah. don't. Need I, to I would do agree that. with that one. Um, you can do a lot of really important business activities while you are still making money at your current job. And yeah. you can do those things on lunch breaks. You can do those things after hours on weekends. You can do there's time in the day, you know, put down clickbait and Game of Thrones <laughs> and, you know, all these fancy TV shows and actually start working on your business. And if you do that, you will realize that you waste a lot of time every day. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I read earlier this year in January, I read Elon Musk by Ashley Vance. And one of the my key takeaways from that is when you think about Zip2, PayPal, Tesla, Solar City, uh, SpaceX, all these businesses that Elon Musk had, Man, this guy is relentless. Mm-hmm. He is, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has a certain level of talent and intelligence, but it also takes competitiveness and resilience. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's got. And he's willing to sacrifice more than everyone else in order to get there. And so there's something admirable about that, about this hierarchy, this order of priority that he set and said, you know what, I'm going to accomplish this goal. And because I'm ordering these things in a sense of priority, I'm going to make sacrifices in other areas of my life. And here's where those areas are Mm -hmm. right now. You got to make trade offs. And, you know, maybe he made the right or wrong trade offs. That's a conversation for a different day. But yeah, but there's a difference between being afraid to leave And for those people, it's like, hey, there's no time like the present than picking the right time to leave. And that's where clock time versus calendar time comes in. Yeah. Well, so the reason I I, I said I assumed you were going to say there's not a right time is because I personally feel like if you're a person who really has a burning desire to go pursue this idea that you have, you're already working on it on the weekends. You're already working on it Mm -hmm. five to nine after you get home from your nine to five. Right. So to speak. Mm -hmm. And the universe 
forces you to make that hard decision, right? It becomes this thing to a point where you literally don't have an option but to leave to pursue this thing. Kind of like uh, I watch, I've probably seen every episode of Shark Tank they've ever put out three or four times, mm. right? And there's a, there's every season, there's this person where they're like, are you working on this full time? And the person's like, not quite. I have a full time job, but we've got so much in sales that it's almost like I have to go do this. And they're like, if you mm -hmm. say you're willing to quit your full-time job right now, I will invest in your business to help you, you know, bridge that gap. And they're like, mm -hmm. done. I, I just quit my mm -hmm. job on national TV to me. Like <laughs> if you're really into it yeah. that much, there yeah. comes that moment where you've done all the yeah. things you're talking about. <clears throat> you put in that time. It's, it's already making money and you're just hanging on to the job because that's your safety net. And then the mm -hmm. universe will tell you like, this is the moment of truth. You have got to pull that, that rip cord and jump out the plane um, at this mm -hmm. point. Cause otherwise like your window will close. So that, yeah. that to me, and it, it does, I think go along with what you were just saying that like, uh, I think it has a little bit more to do with desire and motivation than anything else. But like, mm -hmm. as you think back to the moment I was just asking you about where you're, deciding like this is a thing that i have to go do was this sort of like a product market fit sort of thing where you were able to look around and say you know i'd pay for this so i know others would too or was it something you heard so many other people asking for while you were working in that inside sales job that you knew for sure the market was there even if the product wasn't yet and so you couldn't let that go for the years that it took you know before you came back around to pursuing this yeah, before we before I left my job, we already had some level of traction, right? Mm -hmm. We already had some some sense that this was moving in the right direction and that, you know, we had validated the market in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um so I think that's one of the important things to to kind of note that one I knew there was a when you start with the market because, you know, people say product market fit. And I like to not just play with words, but really say market product fit, because I truly believe that if you start with the market first, you understand the problems the market has and then you build a product to solve those problems, then mm -hmm. you're in a much better position than product market fit, which is let me build this thing and then try to go sell it to someone. And so mm -hmm. I started with the market in sense because I knew, and listen, I had this job before, this was a problem then, it's a problem now. And yeah. then when you do any sense of research, talk to a realtor, Google online, you're gonna see speed to lead is really important. And that most folks don't have the capacity to follow up with a new inbound lead 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year yeah. within two minutes in order to kind of take that next step and maximize not only their conversions, but also their ROI. So we'll, I want to I want to dig in like a lot deeper on what you were just <laughs> tapping into right there. But mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, you guys were were able to secure a coveted spot in Y Combinator, which is a, a very popular Sili Silicon Valley uh, incubator program. What was that like? It was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was amazing. So um, it was amazing for a couple of reasons. So one is that the best thing that comes out of Y Combinator is not actually the prestige of the name or mm -hmm. the the content that you get while you're there, but it's the alumni community that you're in. Hmm, so quite literally the network that you get into when you go through there. It's like the same reason why people say, you know, when you leave McKinsey, you're always mm -hmm, a part mm -hmm. of McKinsey. When you leave Google, you're always a part of Google. You leave Facebook. you're Because the people that I met there are today some of my closest friends. Um, hmm. Running a startup can be a very lonely desperate place. Sure. <laughs> and I know, I know that, you know, when you read TechCrunch and you look at Business Insider and Instagram and all, you know, LinkedIn, everybody is having success all the time. No one has yeah. lonely yeah. days. No one has bad quarters. No one has bad months. You know what I mean? It's not, it's all this 
all this fake stuff that people put out. But the reality is most days, especially when you're starting your company, I know I was sitting in a room by myself on the phone or doing a Zoom demo for eight, nine hours a day trying to convince customers to give me money. And I was hearing no a lot more than I heard yes. And always asking yourself, why am I doing this? Yes. Yes. And seeing, you know, your savings dwindle and, you know, so it can be a really stressful time, not only for you, but especially if you have responsibility, you got a family, Mm -hmm. you got kids, you got aspirations, you got people who are looking at you saying, hey, you know, I you should be doing this in your life. Why are you focusing on this silly idea that isn't going anywhere? So you've got all of these external pressures. Well, one of the great things that the YC community has is Founders who have a documented history of success, Mm -hmm. who are willing to invest in you and you're willing to invest in them, not only from a discipline perspective, market, product, engineering, sales, marketing, finance, et cetera, and share kind of what they're doing and best practices around that. So that, you know, iron sharpers iron, but also from an emotional perspective, which is, hey, man. It's when you are a founder growing a company, it's really hard to. To empathize with people who get a paycheck every two weeks. So because in that sense, you only eat what you kill. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask, would you recommend then that anyone, you know, who's looking to start a, a tech related or some sort of tech enabled company, go and find an incubator to join so that they can find their tribe, you know, the same way? I would encourage people to find a network of folks who can support you and you can support them. That may not be an accelerator. That may not be the Mm -hmm. best fit for everyone, but you should not go at this alone. You should go at this with, and, and when I say alone, I mean, go at this with the support, with the emotional, mental support, um, of of like-minded folks, right? And so that may not necessarily be an accelerator, but there are lots of startup founder communities out there where you can find people at your stage just getting started, making a million, making two million, et cetera, making five, 10 million a year, who can who are going through some of the same challenges as you, mm-hmm. who you can lean on and they can lean on you to get through the tough times because resilience isn't built at the top of the mountain. It's built on the climb up from the valley. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's important to to understand that every single step you make up that mountain is going to feel like a person is putting a small rock in your backpack. And Mm -hmm. at times you're going to need to pause, take a break and and and, before you take that next step. But you also likely need some quite literally like some education around the ways to think about running a business. The way we think about the business, the way I think about it, vision, strategy, people, communication, systems and money and thinking about those things in that order as you begin to scale. You may not get that information from YC, Techstars, AngelPad, Mm -hmm. et cetera. That may be information that you get from talking to a founder who has scaled maybe two or three steps ahead of you and can share that information with you. You know, Mm -hmm. so the community is important for a couple of reasons. And. And and YC gave me my introduction to that. So let's talk more about Smart Alto for a minute, right? Uh, I mentioned in my intro that you guys, you know, your focus is on helping realtors get matched up with, you know, more leads, set more appointments, and ultimately make more money each year. But you kind of got into it, and I cut you off. But share with us, you know, how does that actually work? How does the the system actually work? So ultimately, our core value proposition is that we help we have real estate ISAs who help real estate agents, realtors triple their productivity, book five times more appointments and ultimately make an additional forty thousand dollars per year in GCI without Mm -hmm. doing any cold calling. And so practically what that means is we pre-screen real estate leads. We filter false inquiries. We we make sure that the real estate agent can spend their time on the highest value and revenue producing activities possible. So we operationalize their sales. So the way it works is when a home buyer goes to Zillow or they see a 
uh, a Facebook ad of a real estate agent promoting a house or they go mm-hmm. to Redfin or any of these portals out there. They say, you know what? I see that house. I want to talk to the agent who represents that house. So they'll put in their name, telephone number and email address. And that information goes to the real estate agent. The problem is the most successful real estate agents, they're busy. They're mm-hmm. off reviewing mm-hmm. contracts, showing homes, going on listing appointments. And so they don't have the time to consistently follow up with these new online leads. And so they don't. And so they just pay money to generate this new lead and this new lead doesn't get followed up with at all. And if mm-hmm. they do, it's 48 hours later. Yeah. Right. But the expectation of the home buyer, when they say, hey, I want to see that house. You want to talk to someone now. You've yeah, got to you want to see it today. Yeah. You want to see it today. You you want you want someone to respond to you quickly because we live in this on demand, always on world where we don't want Amazon next day. We want Amazon today. Right. Yeah. We want yeah. Uber Eats now. We So we live in this world of instant gratification. But the real estate infrastructure and the agents just aren't set up for that. And so that's the problem that we solve. Instead of that information, the name, telephone number and email address only going to the real estate agent, that information comes to us, too. And so when that information comes to us, we'll qualify that real estate lead, that home buyer, and we'll ask them questions like, you know, what's your price range? What area are you looking in? Do you have the authority to buy? Have you been pre-approved? Um, are you working with another agent right now? Are you working with the a lender, what's your timeline to buy? And if that person meets some basic qualifications, then we'll schedule a 15 minute phone appointment for the real estate agent and the home buyer to talk. And on that call, the agent's job is to pull back the onion a bit and say, hey, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Let's take the next step. That could be go see the house. It can be talk to my lender. It can be um, you know, let's just you know, get a, a, a signed buyer's agreement. They could, it's their job to take that next step, but we tee them up so that they can spend their time talking to people who actually want to talk to them as opposed to looky loos who may not be interested in buying a house or may not be qualified. So I'll tell you real quick. One thing I've noticed is that whenever somebody asks you what Smart Alto do- does, and you may not even realize it, but you did it just there too. Uh, they ask you what does Smart Alto do, or how does the service work, or whatever. You always lead with the fact that it helps realtors make more money, uh, which I think is is, is interesting. Be- like as a fellow marketer, I appreciate that. Right? Often people want to tell you all the great features of their product yeah. or service and why they're so smart or they're so special and they created this wonderful thing. When in reality, you know, the end, end customer, your realtors, they just want to know how is this thing going to make my life better? Right. And so yeah. I, I think yeah. it's uh, awesome that you always lead with the answer to that question, even though they haven't asked it yet. Um, yeah. So just, you know, do with that what you will. But I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that one about the, the, the way you've gotten, you've nailed down the, uh, the, the, I don't even know what the word I'm trying to find is, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so when a person sets out to start a new business, you know, you you touched on something else that I want to draw out of this. Their options are to either invent something brand new from scratch. Right. Or to take something that already exists, tweak it and simply build a better mousetrap. Right. And you mm-hmm. you just got through pointing out the fact that you guys focus is on speed, 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 speed. Right. Getting mm-hmm. realtors to mm-hmm. respond to those inbound inquiries faster than humanly possible. Uh, would you consider that to be something brand new that the space had never had before or were they already, you know, were there already incumbents, other services that you saw they were just doing something wrong? Yeah. So there were all already a little competition in the marketplace and mm-hmm. people have been trying to do this and solve this problem for years upon years upon years, because the concept of a real estate ISA is not new. What is new is the way that we're ultimately solving the problem, because now if you have a single inside sales agent who's trying to follow up with a, you know, 5, 10, 15 real estate leads, it's just impossible for them to do that quickly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so that's part of the solution and the value proposition that we have, which is the the real estate agent's best asset. Mm -hmm. To a home buyer who does not know them is their availability, right? So I'm a mm. 
big basketball fan. Sure. I love Kevin Durant, love LeBron James, etc. But Kevin Durant was hurt two years ago. LeBron mm-hmm. James had been hurt two of the past three years. I don't care how great of a basketball player you are. If you are unavailable, <laughs> you can't help your team. So yep. your best asset is your availability. And we guarantee that every real estate agent who's our customer is going to be available 100% of the time. They're going to be available to meet that home buyer or home seller where they are and meet their needs then. So we give them that full coverage so that they never miss a qualified sales opportunity again. And there's a lot of value and quite literally money in that. So I'll, I'll go in a little bit different direction for a second. Yeah. Uh, you know, through my research and preparation for this interview, I've read that you guys have, have raised over a million dollars to date. And I'm not going to ask you for the exact number. I know that can be a, a sensitive subject for founders for a bunch of reasons. But what I, I do want to ask is whether you found it to be any more difficult raising funds for a tech company as a founder who doesn't have necessarily that prototypical technical background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually. <clears throat> and I but and I believe that's because the most astute investors out there understand that the real that technology is there to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And so um, in order to be successful, what you need is a great team around you. And that team can come. Let's say if the, one of the benefits you have, if you are a technical founder. Mm-hmm. Is that you can build the original version of your product mm, without going out to hire anyone. Mm-hmm. But you're still going to need to hire a team to build your product for you. You yeah. still going to need a CTO, right? You're still going to need engineer. You're still going to need product. But because I came from the business side. And the astute investors understand that this is a business and that the technology is there to solve a problem. They found comfort that I knew there was a problem here because I had experienced this problem before and now I set out to solve it. So then the question becomes, can you build the team to help you execute? Because that's where the real power is. The real power isn't in the ideas. There's a lot of ideas that float around. People have ideas all the time that never see the light of day. And it's because the difference is in the execution. And so could I execute against it? Could I could I build a team? Could I get an MVP out? Could I get people to part with their hard earned money and give them value back? That that those were the real questions. And that's why you have some technical founders who go off and build a beautiful product, but don't have any customers, don't have any users, Hmm. don't have any traction. And it's because they're not actually solving a problem. Well, I'll ask you then the the other side of that same question, which I think Mm -hmm. you were kind of tapping into just there. Are there any skills that you picked up in your your years as a marketer that maybe helped with the fundraising process then? Yes. Yes, for sure, because the concept of market product fit is actually pretty new to technologists, mm-hmm. but it's not new at all to marketers hmm. <laughs> because marketers start with who's the market? Mm-hmm. What's the avatar you're going after? What problems do they have? How do they describe the problems in their everyday life? What bad thing happens if they don't solve this problem? Who else is trying to solve this problem? Like you start with the market and understand, like doing some basic research, talking to users, talking to customers, mm-hmm. and then you develop your communication strategy, your marketing game plan, your launch plan all around the customer avatar, the buyer behaviors, right? The buying profiles. And And so that came very naturally to me. And so I've been socializing the concept of market product fit for, you know, years since I've been in the tech space, because I realized it that wasn't something that people talked about. Everyone talked about product market fit and even YC is a product accelerator. Like if Mm -hmm. you if I'm using very simple terms to kind of describe that, but you will think about, you know, make something that people want. And it's all around, you know, make something, build something, be a technologist. Um, And then it comes to something that people want. Right. So you got to marry those two things. And me being on the business or commercial side of this and spending my life on, you know, 
commercial operations, sales, digital marketing. You know, I started my marketing career doing, you know, direct mail. So direct mail, offline marketing, all those things really helped when it came to to, to getting customers. Well, uh, another big part of raising funds involves tapping into your existing network. Right. And, you know, from from what I know of you, you're really big on relationships like any good marketer would be. Right. And are there any tactics or tools maybe that you swear by that are good for building and or maintaining those strong relationships? This is this is an interesting question, because I was I had I was having this conversation with a group of founders literally just yesterday. And I believe that you should get as many people deeply invested in your success as possible. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You should get as many people deeply invested in your success as possible. I believe that the key to success is focus and personal relationships. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that this is after we've kind of talked about people actually having equity and opportunity. Like you have the opportunity to do this, yeah. that now focus in personal relationships. And so the hard part of productivity is actually figuring out what to focus on. And one of the things you should focus on is actually going out, executing, building the company, right? Hiring people, making sales, doing demos, doing marketing, etc. But you should also focus on building strong and healthy relationships with people with not only people who can help you, but also people you can help because people who you help now who may not be able to help you now may be able to help you later. Hmm. Right. Um, And so it's very short sighted. My point is you need to be strategic about how you spend your time. One of the things you should spend your time on is developing strong personal relationships, but you also need to be open to serendipity. And Hmm. sometimes things just happen. It's interesting you say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, I'm sure that approach has helped you in the process of raising funds to scale, right? It's, It's never an easy process, but it gets easier when you know who to call. But like knowing who to call well before you actually even need to make the call Yes. is always a great position to be in, right? You, as you're talking, I'm thinking about somebody like Refkin, the CEO of Compass, right? Who only, mm-hmm. he only founded his company because he had somebody in his network who had the yeah. capital to invest, sure. But also that guy believed in Robert's abilities as a founder more than he ever believed in it himself. And so that's a rare situation to find your, find yourself in. But I'd also say it's one of the benefits of building that strong network long before you actually need it, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get as many people deeply invested in your success as possible. And part of that is helping people along the way, being very intentional about that and having a dream worth supporting. Because yeah. if your dream is I want to go make a lot of money, well, that's not something it's <laughs> like worth supporting. But yeah. what is what's your What's what's driving you? What's your why behind this? And being able to articulate that is important to people because the wealthy people I know. They started off wanting money, but they ended up wanting to do something meaningful with their lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they realize you don't need the former to have the latter. Yeah. You know, and so I believe I'm not going to say it has much to do with age, but the wiser people become, the more they realize this is life is more about growth and contribution than it is about getting, 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 getting. So you can find people who quite literally want to help you if they believe in you and what you're trying to do. Yeah. So uh, sort of to that end, you know, my my initial idea for this episode and, and the reason I wanted to have you on was because I think, you know, people sometimes have really great ideas for a business, as you said, that kind of just stay in their head. Right. It's an idea they'd really love to pursue, but they let their resume or their pedigree or the lack thereof or whatever be the, the thing that keeps them from taking a chance and pursuing that big idea. Right. They think that they have to have a degree from Harvard or go to Stanford Business School in order to succeed as, as a as a startup founder. And, you know, sure, that could help. 
help. I'm not going to take anything away from it. But mm-hmm. as a person who has been there and is, is currently doing that, um, any final advice for how to get past that mental block and get going? Well, it's a couple of things. And mm-hmm. it's important to not allow other people to define your success in life, ultimately what your end goal is. And you should not despise small beginnings. So wherever you are, Mm -hmm. start there. Now, some of the best advice I got in my life is actually don't despise small beginnings. And Hmm. from a practical perspective, where that comes from is that if you are, if you have a small company and you grow at 10% a month, you're going to be a big company in a very short order. Yeah. So when you take a step back, one of the things that distinguishes successful people from unsuccessful people, however you define that, however they define that fulfillment in life, right, is not their talent. Everyone has some level of talent and not their intelligence. Everyone has some level of intelligence, but it's actually their competitiveness and resilience. Hmm. And if you think about this as as kind of a, a funnel, you need to get from there's a lot of people at the top who've got talent, fewer people in the middle who've got, you know, intelligence and then fewer people who've got that competitiveness and fewer, even fewer people who have that resilience. But you need all four in order to reach that ultimate success that you set out for. And mm-hmm. so this is more about attitude than it is about anything else. Now, I'm not saying that all you need to do is just believe you can do it. No, there are some (laughs) practical things here where you need resources in order to have the opportunity to take advantage of, you know, starting a business. Because trust me, in order to start a business, you're going to be somewhat of a privileged person, right? Because you're going to need the resources and in order to get the resources you need to be resourceful and people may have different levels of resources but resourcefulness is a really important part of this right so i'm not saying that anyone can just go off and start a multi-billion dollar business today no life isn't that life isn't that gracious but you can start wherever you are that's the big thing and it does come with an attitude shift, believing that, you know what? Asking yourself the question, how can I fill in the blank Mm -hmm. and sleeping on that? And your mind will start to find answers for that. How can I, how can I, how can I? And if you kind of start from that positioning, if you start from that posture, I believe that, you know, a lot of things that other people say they couldn't do, Mm-hmm. And maybe you've now had that transfer of credibility, believing that because they can do it, you can do it. We'll begin to drift away because other people will put their limitations on you, which is mm-hmm. why you mm-hmm. should not just blindly follow or believe in what other people tell you, including mom, dad, grandma, best friend, because those yeah. people will put limitations on you unknowingly trying to do what they think is best for you, but limiting your growth. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, Pastor Hassan, I, 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 will, I will, I will not even bother to try and push beyond that because I think that's a great place to, uh, a great place to, to stop. But I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. This was great. Um, but before we, we do go, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or, uh, Smart Alto after this goes live? So I'm definitely easy to find on, LinkedIn, Hassan Riggs, H-A-S-S-A-N-R-I-G-G-S. Same mm-hmm. thing on Instagram and Facebook. And you can go to smartalto.com, S-M-A-R-T-A-L-T-O.com, smartalto.com. And that's the, the name of the company. So look forward to chatting with you.
Appreciate it. Okay. Awesome. Well, before I turn it over to Eric to close us out, a quick programming note that this is the second to last episode of season one. Uh, I know breaks my heart too, Uh, but stay tuned uh, to the Tech Money podcast channel in your podcast app because we do have some bonus content that we'll be sharing with you soon. Um, I'm not going to ruin the surprise and tell you exactly what it's about just yet, but suffice it to say, if you're a fan of this podcast and have listened to every episode in season one to date, you'll definitely find this bonus content from a different project I've been involved in uh, to be super helpful as well. So I'll just say that and let you uh, let you see it when it comes. But uh, Eric, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? Oh, I'd be happy to. And Malcolm, it's so funny that you said what you said at the very end because there are multiple times when Hassan was making some serious points. I'm like, preach, man, preach. <laughs> so you and I are on the same wavelength for sure. Uh, so Hassan, again, I just want to echo what Malcolm said. Thank you so much for being on the show. And of course, Malcolm, thank you for bringing him on the show to educate the audience and myself. Of course, our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review, as this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at MalcolmEthridge.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.